Well, once again, welcome. Um, Welcome to this community here and to our virtual community that is streaming this event. It's amazing how this is with uh, modern technology, our ability to reach out and communicate across the globe. Um, I think it holds great promise for, uh, for world peace, actually. So if we have not met yet, my name is Tija Bell. And um, I am a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's good. I am um, a, a lineage Dharma teacher in uh, the Renzai Zen tradition. So I'm going to give them just a moment to work on the sound. How's that? A little bit better? I'm hearing a little, I'm hearing kind of like a radio voice. Yeah, I know. I was just saying how wonderful technology is. <laughs> and of course it is, but yeah. It's not without its road bumps, right? So, yeah. um, so as a way of, of self-introduction, it was saying that I'm uh, a teacher, lineage teacher, uh, a Zen master in the Renzai Zen tradition. Um, over the decades, I have also practiced uh, in the Vajrayana tradition, which is um, those of you that know the Dalai Lama and various of the uh, Tibetan and Trans Himalayan teachers. They have been some of my primary meditation teachers over the decades. And then I've had the great honor and privilege of, of practicing here at Spirit Rock. And working with such wonderful teachers as uh, Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman, so many others that are uh, that are here. As I've done that, I've practiced here and taught well over a hundred retreats um, at Spirit Rock over the last twenty-one years. Um, it's given me a really great opportunity to. Uh, to know the practice on the ground level and to really celebrate this wonderful integrating practice that we, that we do here, that we bring here at Spirit Rock. Um, I really feel that the, the Dharma that is practiced here, the teachings that are given here are evolutionary, are integrating 
are uh, deeply nourishing to the human spirit, to our spirits. And of course, with the practice of uh, Qigong, they're also nourishing to our, to our bodies, to our embodiment. So that is uh, a little bit about my background. I'm also a musician, an artist in that way. Um, so tonight I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you uh, and then towards the end uh, look forward to uh, maybe some dialogue together so that we can speak about our commonality of experience. Now, the theme for tonight, tonight's talk is our practice, our dharma, our qigong, our embodiment, our integration in challenging times. Because we are in challenging times, to be sure. So, um, I would really like to begin with kind of a, a moment of acknowledgement for what happened in New Zealand. So, we as Dharma practitioners, as Buddhists, but really, when it comes right down to it, just as caring and conscious human beings, we unequivocally denounce violence as a way of solving anything. Really, we're at the point in in evolution, in human evolution, where we recognize, or most of us recognize, that war is not an answer. War doesn't settle anything. It only causes more problems. So hatred and vengeance and this isolationism of racism, um, yeah, it's old world. And we need to continue to move our hearts and our spirits and our actions into the new. Into what is healing, what is integrating. If we are to survive this in this planet, on this planet, with one another, with nature, we need this connection, this, this knowing sense of connection one with other with another in terms of our human life and our human relationships but you know also with all of life with with the oceans you know taking responsibility as we need to for the oceans the air all of that uh, so, you know, I also stand in solidarity with the youth of today, and I just absolutely love the Sunrise Movement. If you don't know that, Google it, because it is, it's, a, it's a worthy uh, undertaking to, to understand how the, the new generations, or the younger generations, are really taking very seriously the condition of the earth, and that what happens in politics, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, really matters. And they are, they're, they're, they're a very strong voice. 
And we, as adults, um, you know, I feel that we need to stand for them. We need to stand up for them and support them in, in their exploration, in their creativity, in their, uh, in their journey towards wholeness. I remember having uh, teachers and elders and grandparents when I was growing up and say, your generation, you're going to save the world. And um, we tried. We, we, have, we have definitely tried. And as long as we keep conscious, we're still in that flow. And now we can support the... Uh, uh, the young adults, we can support Malala, and we can support, uh, you know, I have, I have a list of a few names that I would just love to read to you, so that, you know, important to hear these names of the youth, right? They're going to be the leaders before long. They're leaders right now. So I just mentioned Malala, but there's also... Uh, uh, Toby Thorpe, Sky Hawthorne. Um, in uh, New York, there's Scarlett Puznet, and, uh, Alexandria um, uh, Via Sensor in New York, also Charles uh, Rickwood in, in Australia, trying to help save that beautiful marine reef that is so huge that it's endangered there. So many others. So many others. Uh, so when we come to listen to, uh, to Dharma or to come together in a thoughtful way, to consider possibilities and to look at the resources that we have, um, I also like to acknowledge that this land that we are on now was for almost 10,000 years before uh, the settlers came from Europe primarily was uh, lived in and uh, by the Miwok Indians the coast Miwok Indians down a little bit south in the south what we now call the south San Francisco uh, peninsula, the Ohlone Indians, right? We have a little. We have a little archaeological evidence that these tribes lived um, here relatively peacefully for thousands of years, and before that, who knows? So. We're on this land. This is, in some ways, this is very sacred. This is very sacred land. Spirit Rock, uh, the land of Spirit Rock, as you, some of you may know, was owned by the uh, Nature Conservancy before we bought it uh, 25 or 30 years ago. Right? This whole 440 acres, whatever it is. Amazing piece of land. And when the Nature Conservancy decided to um, sell the land, they wanted to sell this land to, to someone who would steward it well. 
because they were going to put the resources that we gave them to buy this land to the Amazon rainforest. And they did that. And so, so the, of course, the earth is in peril in, in many places. But there is hope. There is, there is, there is a conscious activity towards uh, nurturing the planet to the recognition of our connection and interconnection with one another. Uh, so I'd like to uh, also begin this evening by reading a quote from this wonderful scholar and author, human being, a woman that some of you may know. Her name is Mary Evelyn Tucker. And uh, she recently with Brian Swim did uh, a movie that maybe some of you have seen called The Journey of the Universe. Anybody seen that Journey of the Universe? Well, this is on your Netflix list now. It is a beautiful movie that is about um, less than an hour long that really connects with the, the cosmos, with ecology, with systems thinking, uh, and shows the potential in the heart that we have in continuing to uh, nurture the earth, not only ourselves, but all of life here. So I love this quote by, by Mary Evelyn Tucker. It goes like this. Heaven is my father and earth is my mother. And even such a small creature as I finds an intimate place in their midst. Therefore, that which extends throughout the universe, I regard as my body. And that which directs the universe, I consider as my nature. All people are my brothers and sisters, and all things are my companions. So in this view from a great scholar and scientist, understanding that spirituality and science are not really different. They are intimately connected. So we use the metaphor of heaven and earth to show the connectedness, the interconnectedness that we share one with another. So thank you, Mary Evelyn. Now, so in, in relationship to the theme of this evening, which is uh, how our practice of the Dharma, of the integrated practices of yoga or Qigong, that which embodies, which integrates, which brings wholeness, which brings goodness, really the question is, what practice is useful and practical and what is effective in these challenging times? So it's a big question, right? And there's probably not one simple answer to it. There might be many amazing and complex uh, answers to it. Right? Complex 
is not necessarily complicated. Complexity is the deepening of knowledge that we have when we give our attention to something, when we practice it. So as you practice the Dharma, as you practice resting in meditation, even though there's not a lot of content that may arise in your mental connection, the heart field, the direct knowing of connection and interconnection, that begins to deepen in a way of direct knowing. We call this interconnection. We call this interdependency. The interdependency of all of life. We call this interpenetration of all life and all things. So, from the traditions of Dharma practice, we have what's called the three pillars, the three pillars of practice, the foundation. So when you think of a pillar, it's like, boom. This is something substantial. So I'd like to talk with you about those. And then uh, let's examine. Let's examine. And, and, I, and later I want to get your reflections on this too, if you have something to say. I'm sure you do. So the three pillars of Buddhist practice are, first of all, the Pali word is dana. Dana, D-A-N-A. And this is the Pali word for generosity. So what is generosity in this sense? Because uh, generosity supports the idea for us of our interdependence, of our interconnection. So it's not just about us giving something. Our culture is not as familiar as Asian cultures are with this act of generosity. With you know, they might support uh, not only the rest of the community, but they would support the nuns and the monks and the and the the people that are endeavoring to connect the heart of the universe, the heart of the Dharma, the heart of kindness, the heart of goodness, that which nourishes, that which heals. So those things brought forward and nourished through acts of generosity, through giving food, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's effort, sometimes it's helping to get the, the cow out of the field or whatever it is, you know. It can be any of those things. Generosity. So when we practice generosity, we practice generosity of spirit. And in our meditation practices, this is a very significant thing. Because we sit for these moments with the intention for well-being. And this is not a selfish endeavor to sit and practice the way that we do having some time to sit, to reflect, to be still, to allow the waters of movement and the news feed that runs through our minds from time to time to settle and connect with the earth. And that reciprocity of presence, that connection, begins to do something that we may or may not 
recognize the results of. We do things in such a way out of the heart of intention, sometimes without the knowledge of the effect that it has. This is real generosity. So when you give in such a way nobody knows you did it, you know. You know. And that act of kindness, that act of generosity of spirit, the moment of heartfelt intention towards goodness makes it we, we have no idea of the, of the potential impact of it. In science, we call this complexity. We call this non-linear, the non-linear connection of causality. In the Dharma practice, we call it dana. We call it generosity. And we give because it feels good to give. We feel we give because it's healing to ourselves. And I'm not saying what. There are many things, there are many things that we can uh, we can offer one of the most profound things that we can offer is kindness. Open-heartedness. A presence of tolerance. So that's, that's dana, you know. Uh, That spirit, when you when you share a smile, when you share uh, good feelings with one another, that generosity has a rippling effect. And as far as we know, that rippling effect is right now touching the furthest reaches of the galaxies. Does that seem like a stretch? (laughs) Intention moves throughout the universe far beyond past space and time. You know, thank you Einstein for the theory of relativity and understanding the speed of light. You know, and things in the in the known universe are light years away. So to travel, you know, ten light years means 10 of our years at the speed of light to get someplace. Right? So if we were limited to that, you know, we might not uh, have the Starship Enterprise and warp speed. <laughs> the potentials are, are, are really great and the, the, um, the creativity that comes out of these stories becomes the next thing that we realize in science, you know. How long ago was was it that how long ago was it that Captain Kirk flipped open his his communicator and talked into that or clicked on that thing? 
Yeah, we've, we've got that stuff in spades. That was only, uh, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you for letting me take that little tangent of Star Trek with you. <clears throat> okay. Another of the pillars of our, of our practice, and I'm saying this as we look for what is the resource, what are our resources that allow us to have a sense of stability, that allow us to have a sense of groundedness, centeredness, in the face of, um, of all the complexity of this modern world, all the challenges that are here. I'm not just talking about politics. Talking about, you know, human relationships. Talking about the challenges of racism that we have. So many other things. You can name them. You know them all. So the next pillar that is so essential to us is um, is called sila. S-I-L-A, sila. Sila is the practice of ethics or the practice of uh, connecting with action that is wholesome. Now, I'm not talking about goody two-shoes stuff. That, that I'm sure dates me already with saying goody two-shoes. But the, uh, the, the idea is that it's not, it's not about... Uh, just being nice, right? Buddhists are usually considered nice. But uh, it's not about that alone. The, the practice of ethics is the practice of wise and skillful action. The practice of ethics is not just a set of rules. That's usually the distinction of morality in various cultures. And the morality of cultures is different, as you know. But the foundation of ethics is more primal, more primary to us. Um, perhaps you're aware of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and her forwarding the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which kind of kind of lays out the essential qualities of action and what is, what is uh, helpful and what is harmful. And that we can recognize that across cultures, across traditions, as being something that's relevant and true. So I want to take just a moment with you from the Buddhist perspective to... Uh, relate to the primary teaching or one of the primary teachings of ethics. And it is called the Kalama Sutra. K-A-L-A-M-A. Kalama. Now, uh, the Kalama people were um, a, a tribe that were, uh, that were in India at the time of the Buddha. And it is said that you know, that the Buddha would travel around India and 
uh, give teachings. So, uh, the Kalama people had heard that the Buddha was, uh, eh, he was in the neighborhood not too far away. So, they sent a messenger, and this is all story and lore, of course, but follow along with me for a moment. They sent a messenger and said, and, and entreated the, the Buddha, said, will you please come and, uh, and teach us? And the Buddha asked, what, what teaching do you want? And they said, very wise, they said, we'd like to know the nature of truth and how to distinguish it. Wow, okay, pretty smart for, you know, that's a very important uh, issue. It's relevant, it was relevant then, it's relevant now. So, uh, I want to read you a few words of the the Buddha. Um, And as I like to say, since we don't actually know what the Buddha said, I usually say, the Buddha is said to have said. <laughs> but we know with, with some certainty that these teachings have, handed, have been handed down and have some integrity. Of course, they're translated many times. But if there is, if there is a, a resonance of truth with you and for you in these teachings, then, uh, then I think it's probably the intention of the, of the teaching. So I want to read for you here just a little bit of, um, of the Kalama Sutra. It's also called the Buddha's Inquiry, the, uh, the Buddha's kernel of free inquiry, free inquiry. So it goes like this. The first words that the Buddha asked after, uh, or the first words that he spoke after being asked, he said, It is essential to doubt, to question all things deeply, to inquire, to examine, to inspect, and to experiment. Do not rely on what another says, be they a friend, a monk, or even a respected teacher or sage. Do not rely on what tradition implies. Mainstream culture dictates. Of course, he didn't say mainstream culture. But mainstream culture dictates or what scriptures may state. Do not rely on comforting beliefs born of favorable ideas or non-reflective reasoning. Well, there's a lot of a lot of wisdom in here, a lot of freedom that's getting created in in uh, in thought and approach. So he goes on to say, only when you know directly through free and active inquiry, and that would be kind of our meditation practice to a certain degree, and also our relationships. What happens in the quality of our connection and relationships? Based on reasoning, based on tested in living, dynamic embodiment, and experience. And you see, these things are destructive, and when engaged in, they harm. 
Seeing this, you abandon them. Conversely, when you observe that these actions are wise and liberating, when enacted, they lead to freedom, then this action is right action. And so abide in these actions. Wow, very powerful to see, uh, to, to use this as kind of the, the litmus test for our actions and for our behavior. Does this action that I'm doing, does it bring goodness? Does it bring healing? Does it bring connection? Does it bring uh, communication? And if it continues to do that, if it does that, wow, beautiful. That's wise action. That's wisdom. That's embodiment of wisdom. But if we notice that the things that we do brings harm, then those are the things that we should abandon as courses of action. You know, not to make this too simple, but it's not simplistic, but it is, it does have a quality of simplicity to it. So we have this place where we can check, you know, did this, does this action come out of my living, come out of my direct knowing? So that's the essence of the Kalama Sutra. Uh, It ends like this as awakening beings, because, in fact, we have some concern in Buddhism and other forms of mysticism and so on about being awakened, being an awakened being. But in truth, we are all awakening beings. And if we hold ourselves as awakening beings, this is a very positive thing. This allows us uh, room to make mistakes. This allows us room for failure in some ways and to then to continue to grow. As awakening beings, this harmony of thought, word, and deed creates boundless, panoramic, dynamic peace that may be manifested in every event, in every moment, and in every place. As awakening beings, Wholeness is present with no need for external validation or belief, like belief in a hereafter. And so this awakening precipitates the awakening of all sentient beings. I really always find great comfort and reassurance in that particular teaching of the Kalama Sutra. So that for me is kind of the, uh, the short version of ethics uh, in the three pillars. So we've talked about generosity, dana, sila, this uh, element of ethics. And the third pillar of uh, Buddhist practice is what is called bhavana. Bhavana. Now, sometimes bhavana is maybe mistakenly translated as meditation. But 
from these traditions, we know that bhavana means cultivation. means uh, to work with and to bring into manifestation. So for us, when we're, when we're working with this quality of bhavana, we cultivate our minds. We cultivate our ethics through uh, understanding this way. We cultivate the presence and the health and the strength of our bodies. In a way, the integrated practice, which includes meditation, also helps to bring a quality of tranquility. And that is, now through science, we understand this is a balanced nervous system. This is not the overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system, but the balance of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. So when you have a sense of being present in your body, you have a sense of alignment and connection with the earth. And as Mary Evelyn uh, Tucker said, you know, heaven is my father and earth is my mother. So we can take this as a metaphor, which it is, but there's a real connection with earth. It's not an abstraction. It's not, a, it's not metaphysics. We're connecting, we're feeling the alignment, the sense of settling and grounding into and through the body. So when I do teacher trainings and do uh, day-long events here and elsewhere, and I have the privilege of teaching in China and Europe and, of course, here in the United States, working on these very simple uh, Elements of presence and alignment are things that make radical difference, that make a radical difference in well-being, in the ability to gather and focus our attention. So, from the traditions of, um, of both yogic practice and Buddhist practice, we have an ancient word called dharana, dharana. This sometimes is translated as concentration. But it is really a gathering of attention. And this beautiful quality of concentration or gathering of the attention doesn't have to be uh, a limiting of your attention to the things that are happening in your awareness. Meditation can begin with this bhavana, this cultivation of uh, gathering the attention in a very spacious way. When I teach meditation, when I teach our qigong, this gathering of attention into the field of calmness is so absolutely essential to the creation of longevity in our human life, to well-being, to health, to emotional well-being, to mental well-being, 
all the domains of well-being, this connection. So, um, our practice in in uh, Buddhist practice. So when you when you come here, we have these wonderful opportunities for retreats. Right now, up the hill, they're completing uh, a two-month retreat. That's a long time. Um, over the years, I've taught that retreat fifteen times. So being with people that go very deep in this practice, the real privilege. And just to let you know, that the practice of Qigong is absolutely integral to that sense of well-being. I'll tell just a little story about this, because it's kind of interesting. Um, when I first began doing those, those long retreats up the hill, uh, people get very internal. You know, you have, you have all the conditions set forth for uh, no distractions of technology, no distractions of, of society, of, of community. You practice all together, but you're very contained. Now, sometimes those retreats, there would be a quality of, of uh, regression which is not unusual given kind of the conditions and the circumstances of those retreats. Some of you have have practiced on long retreats or even shorter retreats. You have that idea like, yeah, you get very internal. You get very drawn in. And part of that drawing into the internal is like awareness of all your stuff, right? And, And... Things that you haven't thought about for a long time all of a sudden become very transparent in your awareness. Now this can be a very good and healing thing. But sometimes in the early days when I was with Jack and Robert Hall and uh, um, John Travis and many, many other wonderful teachers who led that retreat, they would call it the Dukkha Retreat. So if you don't know that word dukkha, it means, uh, it's a Buddhist word, it means suffering, it means, it means un, unsatisfactory conditions, right? right? Part of the human thing, right? So um, after a while, after a few years of teaching that retreat and bringing the, the Qigong practices, the embodiment practices, the deep contraction that would happen along the, the, the drawing in started to brighten up. And it, the embodiment practices really contribute to this. And so then after a while, after a few years, the, this long retreat became known as the Sukha retreat. <laughs> because the liberation and the spaciousness that was created by both the beauty of, and the liberating teachings of the Dharma and the integrated practices of the, the Qigong really allow for an embodiment of presence and well-being. Right? So, as you are on the path and if you are interested in the practices of Dharma, 
integration with embodiment, the somatic practices, the connection with this amazing intelligence of our being is absolutely essential in my view. So um, it's, that's an invitation. Okay, let's see. Where were we? We were talking about bhavana. So of course the, the, the cultivation of, of qualities includes benevolence, includes kindness, includes compassion, includes wisdom, and all of this opens to insight. All of this opens to a sense of awareness that is not some mental state, but is deeply relational. Deeply happens in the connection of one with another, right? The ability of your generosity of kindness to be present in the relationships with people that you know, people that you don't know, animals, creatures, trees, blades of grass. So, those are essentially the, the three pillars uh, that I wanted to talk about as resources for us in these challenging times to lean into to lean into the resource of the cultivation, to lean into the resource of the essential ethics that uh, nourish all of our relationships, that can heal racism. And of course... That's generosity. That's all part of generosity of spirit, right? So these are these are qualities for us to nurture. And yes, of course, uh, so much of this happens into and through our contemplative practice. So having the time to settle in, to rest in awareness itself, as we did this evening, and trust the natural emergence of intelligence and kindness in that non-linear way, when we learn to trust in this and live our lives out of that spirit of kindness, of benevolence, in the presence of this natural wisdom. Wisdom in this way is not about being wise about things. Right? Very wise about things, you know. Um, Wisdom in this way is connecting with connecting with how we know compassion, how we know the truth. It is often contentless. So wisdom can also be without content, which doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. When we rest in, in this presence, this presence of awareness, 
that healing knowledge through our own being has that rippling effect for uh, the creation of not only physical, um, but mental and emotional health and well-being. So, uh, those are some, uh, some elements of the resources that I wanted to offer you. And I want to finish this part of the talk, and then we'll have a few minutes to uh, have some dialogue, if you wish. I want to finish with a quote by the wonderful, amazing Thomas Berry. Sure, where all that's coming from, but... Thomas Berry. Some of you are aware of him as a thinker, as a philosopher, as a... If you weren't, you're going to be now. So, Thomas Berry um, wrote a book, wrote many books, and called the... Um, one called The New Story. And uh, this, is one, this is a section in it called The Dream of the Earth. So, he says, Here we might observe that the basic mood of the future might well be one of confidence in the continuing revelation that takes place in and through Earth. If the dynamics of the universe from the beginning shaped the course of the heavens, lighted the sun, and formed the earth, if this same dynamism brought forth the continents, the seas, and atmosphere, if it awakened life in the primordial cell and then brought into being the unnumbered variety of living beings, and finally brought us into being and guided us safely through the turbulent centuries, there is reason to believe that this same guiding process is precisely what has awakened in us in our present understanding of ourselves and our relationship with this stupendous process. Now, sensitized to such guidance from the very structure and functioning of the universe, we can have confidence in the future that awaits, that awaits the human venture. Technology. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, been a pleasure to share uh, a few thoughts with you around that, and um, I think our volunteers will um, pass microphones around. If you have some question or comment about this, we'll just take just a few minutes before we complete our evening together. Raise your hand so they see you. Comments, questions, technology? Why not? Uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, 
want to share something about um, a generosity and uh, how it it really works when you're suddenly, almost spontaneously, faced with a situation in which you can act with generosity or not. Now, there's a lot of practical good, good sense out there that will tell you, don't get involved, don't do that, forget about it. So, for that moment, and it's a really special moment, it's a karmic moment, yours. So I'll tell the story. I, I, it was Christmas time, and uh, you know the, the Fairfax Moosey house. I was waiting in line, and there was a gentleman of roughly my age. He didn't look very wealthy. He just looked like a regular guy, you know, I was standing in front of me. And in front of him, there was a family, and the father was paying for the tickets. It was a nice uh, Disney movie. They were taking their little daughter. And uh, wife, he was a Mexican, Latino guy, and he looked like a working guy, and he was paying for it. It was a little more than he expected, the price of the tickets. And he was reaching in his wallet, in his pants, he was getting change out. He just did not seem to have quite enough. And the gentleman in front of me said to him, please, let me give you this, your family, this Christmas present. And he very quickly gave this credit card to the, uh, the cashier. So it was done almost immediately. So he paid for the three tickets. Uh, he, he wished them a Merry Christmas, and he insisted that it was a Christmas present to the family. Now, he just happened to be in front of me. And that family happened to be there. So there's something in the nature of, of the Dharma which presents you, him, with that situation. And he rose to it. Now, the ripple effect of it, obviously, here I am, sharing it with a whole bunch of people. Beautiful, beautiful gesture. Beautiful story. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so sometimes I have thoughts and intuitions and I doubt them. I don't know where they come from. And I don't know if it's better to try and act on them or to ignore them and try and trust like rational or other more objective things that I understand why I would do things that way. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to act in those situations where you, you have something you don't know where it comes from that kind of pushes you in one direction and then you have other thoughts that or ideas that make you feel you should do something else. Thank you. That's a great question. So here's how I would respond to that. Our practice of dharma and meditation, integrative practices of qigong or anything that you may do, yoga, all of these practices, what they bring us towards is not some surety of some final action, but learning how to listen to and trust ourselves. So this doesn't happen like right away. 
And sometimes we make mistakes. But if you are connected with your heart's intention for well-being, then listen, then listen to your, to that voice. And if the action that comes out of that, uh, brings about goodness, brings about well-being, brings about joy, brings about any of the positive qualities that we've talked about, then you're listening to that deep inner voice. So trust yourself, um, and allow that understanding to evolve and develop in your in yourself you won't always be right but you can learn how to trust this this sense of direct knowing that the buddha talked about how's that okay all right well thank you very much thanks for being here tonight it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to uh share practice to share presence to share some of the dharma teachings with you um, it's a great privilege for me, of course. And thank you for uh, the whole community that is here tonight uh, and sharing the practice. Safe travels, much love, and look forward to meeting you on the path as we go along. Blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.